All right. Well, this morning we're going to talk about what the Bible teaches on the subject of baptism because in just a few weeks we are going to have an outdoor baptism along with a barbecue. And uh, I wasn't going to preach a whole sermon on barbecue, so there you go. What, you think I, you don't think I could do a sermon on, on barbecue? Three biblical points right here. Number one, when God sanctified meat eating. Number two, why pork is now okay. And number three, how there's spiritual power in sharing a meal. Those are all biblically defensible points. You want the sub points? No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to stop there because some things are more important than other things. And today we're going to talk about baptism. I'm hoping that maybe some of you will decide it's time to go on down to the river, as we say. Um, I also want to make sure everyone understands and remembers why baptism is important and what it really means. So first, let me remind you that on Sunday, August 13th, we'll have our regular service in the morning. Then we'll reconvene at 5 p.m. at Abrams Park for our fifth annual churchwide baptique. And yes, that's really what we call it. Please bring friends, family, lawn chairs, and yard games. All the food and drink is provided. Let's plan on having a lot of fun as we make memories once again. Whatever you do, please get this on your calendar. It's only been in the bulletin for two months. <laughs> now, let me quickly say that I am very aware that some of you have heard this sermon multiple times. But please understand this is a message that needs to be shared every year. And every time I do, there are people who have the light bulb come, come on and decide to be baptized. And so... And we also know that people listen uh, online. And so I'm going to say things that other people don't seem to say. And uh, so feel free to use this to help maybe some of your friends and family possibly understand at a, at a new level. So here's a question for some who are here today and others who will listen later. When it comes to baptism, by immersion, in water, after conversion, what are you waiting for? Many people are very confused about baptism. In fact, I would say that generally even most Christians today don't really get baptism. Even some of you who think you get it might still need a tweak or two in your understanding of baptism. I know I personally needed to make some changes and adjustments over the last few years as I have sought to understand biblical baptism better. So much tradition gets in the way sometimes with some of these things. Now, the only place to get authoritative information about baptism is from the Word of God, the Bible. And so I'm going to focus on several truths that wind up forming a solid summation of everything the Bible has to say about baptism. I'm going to talk about what baptism is, what it isn't. And again, I'll be asking, what are you waiting for? I want to start by clearly stating that in this church, we do not believe baptism by itself saves people from sin. Grace received through faith in Christ saves you, not baptism. So to be clear, simply being baptized in water will not wash away your sins or get you into heaven. I actually kind of like the song by Carrie Underwood, but I'll just go ahead and tell you that there's not literally something in the water. Um, and there's nothing about baptism itself that causes a person to be saved from the consequences of sin. Not that I think she's really saying so in the poetry of her song. For the most part, churches of different stripes all agree. 
that there must be faith in Christ for a person to be saved. We all agree that faith in Jesus is necessary. However, some do wrongly teach that faith is not enough without other things like baptism tacked on. But let's put the idea to rest that anyone believes that just dunking someone in water magically saves them all by itself. Well, nobody believes that except perhaps Nacho Libre. So, baptism will not help you get ready for a wrestling match, uh, nor will it save by itself. But beyond a general consensus on those two things, there are plenty of differing views on baptism, enough to split us into denominations. And because of these differing views, and since most people have bounced around to different kinds of churches, they are often left with a hodgepodge of differing ideas, many of which are overreactions to others' ideas, until I'm afraid the average church-going Christian is totally confused about baptism. What I want to do is focus on clear truths from Scripture. In so doing, I hope to correct some misconceptions, and ultimately I sincerely hope that even a few people in this room will come to understand their own need to be baptized as soon as possible. That is my goal. I'm telling you that ahead of time. There are people sitting in this room today who have not experienced biblical baptism. Some of you have never been baptized at all. Others have never been baptized in a biblical way. I'm hoping that this very day some of you will make a decision to follow Jesus in biblical baptism. Before I go on, I want to clearly state even once more that salvation does not happen through the act of baptism. As was the case for the criminal on the cross, if you were to make a decision to trust Christ as Savior and then to die before baptism could be performed, you would still go to heaven. But folks, what bothers me is that many in the church today, especially in churches where I grew up, would want to cheer those kinds of statements as if we received gold stars for making sure to keep baptism in its relatively unimportant place. As if we were somehow charged with making sure everyone sees baptism as sort of optional. And quite ironically, I think Baptist-trained preachers like me are often the worst. This message may be a challenge for those who come from a Baptist background at certain points. If you come from a Catholic or Lutheran background, you will definitely be challenged. My guess is that some of this will be a bit challenging for almost everyone, which is generally what happens when we peel back the layers of what, about what man has said about something to find out what God actually said about it. Fasten your seatbelts. I'm going to tackle this subject by making six truth statements based on Scripture. Half of these will be stated in the positive and half in the negative. Each statement is related to the previous one. We could actually put a therefore in between each of these statements because one flows into the next and is based on the previous. So here we go. Number one, baptism is your profession of faith. Baptism is your profession of faith. What does this mean? To profess your faith in Christ is to make your belief in Him public. This is the purpose of baptism. Baptism is the outward sign of your inward decision to put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. As a wedding ring shows that you are married, so baptism shows that you are forgiven and saved. Jesus said that if we were ashamed of Him before men, He will be ashamed of us before the Father. Paul says we are saved not only by believing in our hearts, but also by confessing Jesus as Lord in front of other people people. Romans 10, 9 and 10. The Bible is abundantly clear that there must be an outward expression of our personal decision to trust in Christ. Keeping it private is simply not an option for biblical salvation. If there's no willingness to make an outward profession of faith, we can know that there's no true inward belief either. Believers take their stand with Jesus. Have 
you done that? Listen, if you've been biblically baptized, you have. Hope you're hearing that. If you have been baptized biblically, you have, you don't have to worry, however really, have, you have publicly professed your faith, both in Christ and in His gospel. And that is extremely important. But where do I get the idea that baptism is the principal way we should profess our faith in Christ? And let's be honest, many churches in the evangelical tradition teach or once taught that the profession of faith happens when you walk the aisle at invitation time, right? Growing up, I know my pastors would typically say that someone came forward and what? Made a profession of faith. Many testimonies back in the day even started with the words, when I came forward at church, and that's not necessarily wrong, but where does it leave baptism? Why doesn't anyone talk about the day they publicly profess their faith in Christ through baptism? Let me tell you, they should. In truth, the altar call of which I speak was a tradition started by a Presbyterian minister named Charles Finney during the Second Great Awakening, which took place in the middle of the 19th century. For more than 1,800 years after Christ, there had never been such a thing as an altar call. And in fact, nothing of this nature is found in Scripture. I'm not saying that the altar call was a bad thing, and indeed, it was a very good thing for many of us, myself included. It was good. We, we, today, we've kind of done a hybrid. We do kind of a reverse altar call here where we invite people to go to the back and ask for prayer to talk about making a decision or be guided through, you know, thinking through what does that mean and how can I do that? Why not up front? Why not a moment where the person says, today I put my faith in Christ? Well, that would be fine. But I think most of the time it's better to have more than a 30-second conversation where I can't even hear what they're saying while the music is playing first. Another thing, and that's what I'm talking about today, it kind of steals the thunder of baptism. I do believe that in the era of altar calls, the point of baptism became somewhat diminished. Historically, when churches started equating walking the aisle with a public profession of faith, the purpose of baptism began to be misunderstood. Listen, the most biblical way to publicly profess your repentance and your commitment to Christ is through baptism. So, is there a verse of Scripture that explicitly says baptism is our profession of faith? Not explicitly, no. However, what we see demonstrated in Scripture, time after time, is baptism functioning as the profession of faith. After Jesus left this earth, every single person that we can read about in the Bible who was saved by faith was immediately baptized. Not a single one of them walked down an aisle, but every last one of them was baptized right away. Get this, after the ascension of Christ, every single conversion recorded in the New Testament included an immediate baptism. In Scripture, baptism was absolutely the way, the way a person made public his or her faith decision to trust in Christ the Savior. Every single time. Let's look at um, the original evangelistic moment for the church, that is, when the first 3,000 people came to faith in Christ on the day of Pentecost. Peter had been preaching, and um, he had pointed out several Old Testament prophecies about the Christ to open up the eyes of the people so they could see that they had missed Him. The Messiah had come, but they had not believed in Him. And as you will see, because of the resurrection, 
They were ready to change their minds. They were ready to repent of their unbelief and believe. In this scene, unbelievers become believers, putting their trust in Christ. From Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 36, Peter continues his sermon saying, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children... And for all who are far off, that's us, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized. And that day, there were added about 3,000 souls. Now, a person could misunderstand this passage on the side of saying that these people were saved through the act of baptism. A person could even misinterpret this to mean that it is literally through baptism that sins are forgiven. Just reading this alone without any other scripture or biblical context could lead one to such a conclusion. And as I've said already, that would be a mistake. However, a person could not interpret this to mean that baptism is unimportant or completely unrelated to salvation, could they? No, we must conclude rather that baptism is intimately connected to the experience of being saved and that What we actually see here, if we look carefully, is that baptism is a new believer's profession of faith. These folks had gone from unbelief to belief. Where? In their hearts. They were pierced to the heart. It says they had realized their error and were convicted of unbelief by the Holy Spirit. They were ready to repent. And repent of what? Of sin habits? No, not really. That's not what this is about. They were ready to repent of rejecting or ignoring Christ's and failing to place their trust in Him as Savior. They were ready to repent of their unbelief. And see, to repent of unbelief is to truly believe. True faith is repentant faith, by the way. This is why sometimes the Bible says repent and believe, and other times it simply says believe. You cannot truly believe the gospel in an unrepentant way. It's not possible. So they were, in fact, each one making a decision to repent, to turn to Christ for salvation. And because of this new spark of faith from the heart, they said, what must we do? They said, what now, preacher? Almost in a panic, they said, how do we respond to what just happened in our hearts? Peter said, repent and be baptized. And you see, they went straight to the water that day. Baptism was the way they made public their inward decision to repent of unbelief and put their trust in Jesus instead. Baptism functioned as their public profession of faith. And those who were not baptized were not considered to have been saved. See, baptism was so intimately connected to this moment of saving faith, to salvation, that this account and many others put baptism right there with salvation, almost as if they were two sides of the same coin. Let me give you another example from Acts 8.12. The Bible says, but when they believed... Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. When they believed, they were baptized. When they believed, when they believed, they were baptized. In other words, right after they believed, they were baptized. And that's the perfectly consistent pattern of Scripture. Note that it was always after they believed. Never before in the Bible 
Always after. And the fact that baptism came after belief, along with the fact that it was outward and visible, tells us that baptism functioned as a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. In truth, had someone refused baptism, I don't think there's a single one of the apostles who would have considered that person saved. Why? Because they were refusing to publicly profess their faith in Christ. People who were saved were baptized afterward, every time. Now, I want to also point out that the method of baptism is important when it comes to how it functions as that profession of faith. Because someone might ask, why the dunking in water? Why is it not enough to walk down an aisle or even to just stand up and say, I believe in Jesus? That's a profession of faith by itself, right? So why do we need the water? Also, why submersion instead of sprinkling or, or pouring or something of that nature? To put it simply, submersion in water represents the most important tenets of the gospel. That which we're actually believing about Jesus. I mean, the demons believe in Jesus, right? I mean, because I believe in Jesus doesn't really do, say a, really a whole lot. That he exists, that he's whatever. But with the baptism, with the water, you're professing faith in the gospel and the message that Jesus preached and what he did on the cross and what it means for your salvation. See, the water represents death and the grave, both Christ's and our own. Going into and coming out of the water represents our belief that Jesus went into and came out of the grave. That he died and rose again to cleanse us from our sins and that we believe that. We are baptized to proclaim our belief in those truths. Submersion and emergence from the water also symbolizes the fact that we are dead to our old life and alive in Christ. Able now to walk in newness of life with him. This is what we're professing to believe even through the act of baptism itself. As Paul put it in Romans 6. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. So we too might walk in newness of life. See those people walk out of that water? They got a whole new life ahead of them. That's what they're saying. Everything's going to be different now. That's the testimony. It isn't difficult to see the intended imagery of baptism by immersion in those verses. But here's one other verse from Colossians. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also. By the way, when we see the word baptism, we, our brain, it's the word submersion. That's what the word is in the Greek. Having been buried with him under the water, it says, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the work of God who raised him from the dead. You were buried with him in baptism, and you were also raised up with him in baptism. Do you see the clear symbolism in this picture and see why our profession of faith needs to involve submersion in water so we can show what we are professing? We're not believing in just anything about Jesus, but his death burial and resurrection, which also speaks to who he is and what it all means for us. Not incidentally, the very word, as I said, baptize in the Greek literally means to sink, to sink someone or to sink something in water. It doesn't mean to sink something in dirt or some other thing. It literally means to sink something in water. It just doesn't mean to sprinkle or pour. That came from tradition. When I'm baptized, I publicly profess that I believe in and have put my trust in what? The death 
burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel. See, because he went under and came out, I can come, go under and come out. Do you get that? Because Jesus went under and came out, I believe that in him, I can go under and come out too. Come out of what? Death. That's the gospel, the good news. Through baptism, our profession of faith is also a proclamation of the story and the power of the gospel. I wonder if Jesus knew what he was doing when he said, I want you to submerge people in water and raise them up out of it as a public way to identify them as my disciple. Their sin is washed away. All things have become new. Now, having explained that baptism by submersion is a new believer's profession of faith, how important is it? How important? is baptism. Is this thing called baptism perhaps more than just bonus material? What does it say if a person claims to have been saved in private but refuses to be baptized as a public profession of that faith? And so I'll ask again, what are you waiting for? Now we covered a lot of things with that first statement. The rest are shorter. So let's move on to the second truth statement, which is this. Baptism is not optional. Remember I said these things go together. Therefore, baptism is not optional because baptism is your profession of faith in Christ and His gospel. It's also not optional. Let me simply point out that when you read the New Testament, you'll not see new believers given the option to put off baptism for maybe later. Have you noticed this? You won't see someone being converted and then the messenger saying, now, what do you think about baptism? No, never. There is no option given so-and-so believed and was baptized. Every single time, count after account. Never do we read, so-and-so believed and decided to think about baptism for a while. Never, not once. Baptism was commanded by Christ right along with the idea of becoming a disciple. The truth is that there is simply no separation between salvation and baptism in the New Testament. Jesus himself said, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. But he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. So he didn't miss baptism the second time, but he missed it in the first part, mentioned it in the first part. So, you know, I mean, that's just, that's what the Bible says there. I can't water it down with the Greek or something. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. Remember what I, disclaimer I gave at the beginning, but that's what this says. After reading, the point is, after reading those words of Christ, is there still a believer out there who feels like you should wait a while? Jesus said this. I don't think so. I don't think a true believer can read that direct quote from the Savior and still want to put off baptism. Jesus simply assumes that salvation and baptism are a package deal. Not optional, closely connected. Let me read another couple of verses that show the importance of baptism. The Apostle Peter writes, When the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. Don't miss that. That's the faith part. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. You still think baptism is optional? Bonus material? I don't think so. I could spend a bunch of time explaining why Peter did not mean that baptism by itself is literally what saves a person. He was using a simile corresponding to the flood and baptism was the corresponding piece because of the water but I'm not going to spend time telling you what he didn't mean because 
What most of us need to get from these verses is not a lower view of baptism, but a higher view of baptism. Listen, we stray from Scripture and put ourselves on shaky ground when we present baptism as if it were optional. I'm not saying you won't go to heaven without baptism. But I am saying, based on Scripture, that something crucial is missing if you have not been baptized as a public profession of your faith in Christ. So I ask again, what are you waiting for? Third truth. Baptism is your first step of discipleship. Your first step of discipleship. Discipleship is what happens after you're saved. Discipleship is the process of learning from Christ, being changed by Christ, and following or obeying Christ. And the primary concept I want to communicate here keys off the word first. Baptism is not step 12 of discipleship. Baptism is not something you'll eventually get around to after you become more spiritually mature. Baptism is not something to put off until you get your life all straightened out. Hear me now. Baptism is the very first step necessary if you are serious about following Jesus. That's right. I think it's necessary to be baptized first if you really want to follow Jesus. There's a disobedience issue right off the beginning if you're not baptized. Again, we know this simply by the example of every single account we can read in Scripture. Never once did someone become a believer and then wait until they got everything straight in their life to be baptized. I could give many examples, but here is one from Acts chapter 18. Luke records, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, there's that faith, with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. Now, as leader of the synagogue, Crispus would have been a Jewish convert. But it also says many of the Corinthians were believing and being baptized. Okay, so what do we know about these Corinthians? They were Greeks, pagans, far from God. To be blunt, they were extremely immoral people. They were not God-fearing Jews who tried to follow the law of God and came to believe in Jesus as their long-awaited Messiah like Crispus. They were Corinthians, and that was kind of like saying they were stereotypical Portlanders, if I can say that, in terms of their beliefs and behaviors. The church at Corinth was Paul's most difficult church, partly because the Corinthians were known for immorality. Some people think the Northwest pretty rough, morally speaking. The Northwest has nothing on Corinth, nothing at all. These people had no idea about right and wrong. They were sinning sinners who sinisterly sinned even on Sundays. Okay? Now, here's what I want you to notice. Does it say that these morally bankrupt heathens, I have a little Missourian in there for you, were believing, correcting all their immorality in their lives, and then being baptized? No. It includes the baptizing right along with the believing, as does every single example in the entire Bible. Think about this. Does anyone ever get all the sin out of their lives on the day they decide um, to put their faith in Christ? Ever? No. Never. Typically, people don't even get the so-called big sins out of their lives on day one. If they have an addiction... That addiction is not always broken that very day. Sometimes it is, but sometimes not. Something changes radically on the inside at the moment when we are saved, but outward life change is a process that happens over time. This has always been the case, and yet every single person we read about in Scripture was baptized on the same day that they believed. They weren't even given time to think about the changes God would want them to make. They didn't know what needed to change. They hadn't read the Bible. They didn't even have a Bible. They did not yet know the commands of Christ. The fact is that for New Testament converts, the changes came after baptism, not before. 
Life change comes as a part of an ongoing discipleship process made possible by the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. We can see very clearly in the letters to the churches that they did not have every sin out of their lives from day one. And yet, there's an interesting thing to notice about all of these believing yet still messed up people in the churches. All of those people who still needed to be corrected morally had something in common with each other in every church. Every last one of them had already been baptized. Remember the Philippian jailer? We'll actually read that story in a few minutes, but just recall for a second that this idol-worshiping Roman soldier was saved and then baptized on the same night. Do you think he went home and threw out all the idols out of his house before Paul and Silas baptized him? It was the middle of the night. What about his relationship with his wife? Did they have a biblical marriage? Had theirs been a Judeo-Christian wedding? No, he was a Roman they would have sacrificed animals to multiple gods at the wedding. That's what Romans did. But Paul didn't wait for any of that to be fixed before baptizing the Philippian jailer. Many would cringe if a pastor were to baptize such a person on the same day of his salvation today. I mean, think of a notorious sinner who everybody knows is a bad guy and suddenly comes to believe in Jesus through the ministry of our church. Let's say I baptize him that very day. You might be thinking, oh no, pastor. What, 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 what if it doesn't stick? Am I wrong? No, I'm not wrong. What if this man doesn't stop eating food sacrificed to idols? Or to bring it into our time, what if he keeps drinking too much? Or what if he has the wrong belief about abortion? Okay, does that make it real enough? But what did Paul and Silas do when this sinful, pagan, Roman soldier put his trust in Christ? They went out and found water that very night and baptized him. That's the very first thing they did. What about the Great Commission? Would would it not make sense to consider the order of things? Jesus put his marching orders in step-by-step form. He said, go therefore and make disciples, talking about converts, help people become my followers, of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, observe, observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even at the end of the age. One, make disciples. Two, baptize them. Three, teach them to obey my commands. But we often try to put at least some of step three before step two, don't we? We're afraid of baptizing people until they've obeyed at least some of the commands. But that's not what Jesus said, and that's not what we see in the New Testament. In case you don't really get what I'm saying, Some churches would fire their pastor if he baptized a couple living together but not yet married. Just so you know, I've done exactly that many times. I also told him their new Savior would want them to get married or stop sleeping together. But I did not make their baptism contingent on anything other than their profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Christ, nor did the Apostle Paul or any other apostle or pastor in Scripture. The same goes for any other situation where a person is living in sin. You have an addiction? Don't even think about trying to break that addiction as a prerequisite to being baptized. I mean that 100%. If you've trusted in Christ, get baptized as soon as possible. Then work on the addiction. Now the disclaimer. I'm not saying anyone should be baptized without at least understanding what they are signing up for. If you're baptized, you're making a commitment to follow Christ wherever He leads. You are repenting of sin, signing up for life change, for transformation. God is going to change you. 
you'll learn to obey his commands. In fact, if you do not, then the book of James and other scripture tells us that proves your faith was empty and useless. That you never really were saved. But while life change is proof of salvation, it is certainly not salvation itself. And most of your life change will come after baptism because baptism has always been the first step of discipleship. But what if we baptize someone on their profession of faith and later they prove that faith was not real because they never change or eventually they even turn away and deny Jesus? Well, in short, that is not something we can control or predict. Basically, we can't worry about that. Wait, what? That's right. Listen, if the apostles didn't worry about it, what am I trying to do? Seriously, if they didn't wait around to see if it was real before they baptized someone, why would I do that? Am I really going to pick certain sins and say you can't be baptized until you stop this or start that? Which sins? On what basis? Certainly not on any kind of biblical basis. Early in the church, there were people who were baptized, but sadly turned out to be wolves among the sheep, even false teachers and those who returned to idolatry. God actually struck some of those wolves dead just to make sure everybody knew they were not actually his. In other words, he's got this. Consider this. Who baptized Ananias and Sapphira? It would have been one of the 12 apostles uh, who basically functioned as the pastors in those early days. Did he make a mistake? How do you think that pastor felt when God struck these two imposters dead, proving, in my view, that they were not actually his children? How did the guy who baptized them feel? Well, I can tell you how he felt because I have felt it. I've seen it bear out that a person I baptized was not truly saved too many times. I baptized people who later denied Christ, professed atheism. So I can tell you it feels absolutely terrible. Yes, it is incredibly sad. But the fear of this cannot stop us from baptizing every single person who claims to put his or her faith in Christ. Only God knows the heart and he will handle any false situations or any apostasy now just as he did then. As for me, just like the apostles, I baptize people upon their profession of faith in Jesus. Period. Now let me tell you something else I've seen over the long haul of experience. People who claim to be saved but don't take the step of baptism get nowhere fast in their walk with Christ. One of the best ways to ensure stunted growth is to hold off on baptism. If you believe you've been saved already, but you haven't been baptized as a public profession of that salvation, you likely haven't grown very much in your walk with Jesus. Conversely, many times I've seen a strained Christian who never was biblically baptized have their life be turned around by God at the point when they finally decided to step into the water. Just as they should have done years ago. Some of you haven't gone very far in your walk with Christ because you never took the first step after your conversion, baptism. That brings me to the fourth truth. Baptism is not disconnected from salvation. By now, this should be obvious. But I want to deal with this truth even more directly. Let's look at the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch from Acts chapter 8. The Ethiopian had been reading Scripture, and Philip asked if he understood. The Ethiopian said, how can I without a teacher? Inviting Philip to share with him. And then picking it up in verse 35... Luke tells us, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from the scripture that that the eunuch had been reading, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, water. Yeah, look, water. I need some. (laughs) 
Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. Again, we see how baptism is connected to saving faith, not disconnected. I mentioned earlier the story of the Philippian jailer. Paul and Silas had been thrown into uh, the darkest hole in the prison and were in stocks, yet they were singing hymns of praise to God. The Bible says everyone was listening to them. There was an earthquake throwing open the gates. The jailer, thinking he would be tortured and killed by his superiors, was about to kill himself instead. But Paul stopped them, told them they hadn't left, so all is well. Picking it up in verse 29, the Bible says, And he called for lights and rushed in. That's the jailer. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them, rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Don't miss that last part. It's telling us that they had believed too. They weren't baptized just, just um, without belief, without faith. But they had believed in God as well. When the jailer asked how to be saved, they pointed him to faith in the Lord Jesus. But then, after he believed, they baptized him that very night. And the verse before this tells us it was after midnight at the time. After midnight, they found water. Wow. What does that tell us? Baptism is not disconnected from salvation. What are you waiting for? Number five. Baptism is a powerful act of worship. Make no mistake, something powerful happens through baptism. Something spiritual happens something heavenly. Jesus was baptized in order to set the example. And God's voice thundered from heaven that he was pleased. To bring God pleasure is in one sense to worship him. Let's pick up the story of the baptism of Jesus from Matthew chapter 3 starting with verse 16. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. I could stop there and go back to immersion, but Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. Behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Don't miss the fact that the baptism of Jesus sparked a supernatural response from heaven. God could have made a statement like this about his Son any other time, but he chose to do this first at the occasion of his baptism. I don't think that's coincidence. I think baptism is a powerful act of worship. I think baptism is pleasing to God. I think God responds to baptism perhaps like nothing else. I believe when a new son or daughter of God is baptized, he wants that person to hear the same kind of voice in his or her heart, a voice that says, this is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. I'm pleased with what they're doing right now. I'm pleased with their baptism. God is worshiped through baptism. And he responds by expressing his pleasure and the one being baptized. I'm saying to you that I actually believe God responds in a supernatural way when a person is baptized in the name of Jesus. That takes me right into the last truth, number six. Baptism is not merely an ineffective symbol. It's not merely an ineffective symbol. Many of the pastors I've experienced, including when I was growing up, have, come, have gone to such great lengths to say that baptism does not save a person that I'm afraid they have inadvertently downgraded the importance of baptism. You know, it's that whole spiel about how there's nothing magic in this water. 
uh, that the whole thing about how everybody should remember that this is just a symbol and all of that. And, and there's truth there. But, but you'll notice I don't usually make that spiel when I baptize people. Somehow I just don't think that's what Peter or Paul or Jesus would be saying if they were baptizing people here today. I think it's more likely they would focus on the fact that this person being baptized is now a child of God and is never going to be the same. That we're witnessing a person who is moving from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. They would not dilute the power of the moment and the incredible meaningfulness of baptism. Think back even to John the Baptist who was baptizing people before Jesus came on the scene. The Bible says his was a baptism of repentance uh, for the forgiveness of sins. It says that a, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This forgiveness was not a complete forgiveness like what was coming through Christ. But the point is that even the baptism of John had some kind of spiritual power connected with it. Maybe that makes some of you nervous to say baptism has spiritual power. But the Bible indicates that some level of God's forgiveness was granted even with the baptism of John. That's spiritual power. Even the baptism of John was not merely an ineffective symbol. No, as I've said, it was an outward expression of an inward decision, even a manifestation of faith and grace at work along with repentance. Later, Jesus asked some of his detractors a question as recorded in Mark chapter 11. Jesus said, was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. They began reasoning among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? But shall we say from men? They were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. Implied is that Jesus considered the baptism of John to be from heaven. God used it to prepare people's hearts for his coming. If God used the baptism of John to prepare people's hearts for Jesus, does it not stand to reason that he would use baptism in the name of Christ for some spiritually effective purpose as well? I believe something powerful happens through baptism. God responds. I believe something clicks that doesn't click otherwise. I believe baptism is the beginning of powerful life change in the person who's obedient enough to be baptized in front of the church. Folks, I do believe baptism has more than symbolic value, that there's some kind of intangible spiritual effect caused by God through baptism, a spark of spiritual growth, perhaps. Like the germination of a seed. Think about this for a minute. We would say as much about simply reading the Word of God, would we not? We would say that God does something through our Bible study that is beyond the natural. We know it isn't merely academic when we read the Bible in the Spirit. We would say that there's spiritual growth through listening to a biblical sermon. Growth that can't be explained merely as receiving information or gaining in knowledge. Should we not afford at least that same kind of spiritual power to baptism? Must we strip it down to an ineffective symbol? I don't think so. I think baptism is much more important than we've often made it out to be. I think that's the reason Jesus commanded us to do it. I believe baptism is intended to mark the beginning of the new life of the Christian. That God responds to this act of obedience by doing some kind of work to kickstart our spiritual growth. I believe we are missing out on something spiritual until we are baptized. Baptism is not merely an ineffective symbol. So, hear me now. What are you waiting for? What is it? What, what's the problem? Why not? Right? If you believe. I told you about my goal in the beginning. 
wanted some of you to see the need to be baptized. So is anybody ready? I'm not going to ask you to stand up here or make a uh, scene, but if you are, I, I hope you'll just use the connections card, or even if you just want to talk about it some more with me, um, uh, you can do that um, and think about being baptized on August 13th. Even better, when we sing our song in a moment, um, you can go to the back. There'll be a, there's like a prayer table back there somewhere, and there'll be some counselors back there with name tags, and uh, they would love to uh, talk to you about it. Now, when I sit down and talk to people, just I'll give you a preview in case that's you. When I sit down to talk to people about uh, baptism one-on-one, you know what the main point of that talk is? I don't try to go through, over this whole sermon or anything. The, the main point and the main thing that I've got to make sure of is that you've already put your faith in Christ, you know, or that you're ready to do that, and we can just do that right then. Um, because baptism is, is, is that outward sign of an inward decision. It's a profession of faith. I wouldn't put a wedding ring on somebody without them getting married first, right? That's, that's the picture. We've got to make sure that you've truly put your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation um, and if there's any question, we can do that right then. And I've had the privilege of doing that with, uh, over the years, probably hundreds of people. Um, and and so, so that's what that's about, if we talk, making sure. So many places in the Bible make it clear that you have to make a decision, that you have to have a moment where you put your trust in Him and receive the gift of what He did on the cross for you. Being born again, the Bible talks about it's not a osmosis. It doesn't just kind of happen throughout your life. It's, it's a moment in time where you have to turn to Him and He gives you what you need. Salvation and the Spirit. You don't get the Spirit gradually. You get the Spirit when you have true faith and put your faith in Christ. He comes. So, if you want to be baptized, you have to be saved first. Simple as that. If anybody wants to make sure you've been saved... As you've repented of unbelief and placed your trust in Christ, I'm not going to wait until we might meet at some other time. I'm going to do it right now. So if you would, let's just bow in prayer. And uh, anybody that's not sure, you can really, uh, it's not a magic prayer, guys. It's, it's not like, oh, say these words and you'll be saved. It's not some kind of ritual. It's about what happens in your heart. So as I try to just guide you through a prayer, all I'm doing is, is giving you some structure to 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 deciding to, to give your life to Him. So, if that's you, in, in your own words, just pray to God. Lord, I, I, I don't understand a lot of things. There's a lot, I have a lot to learn. You know, come, come in humility. But if today's the day that He's drawing you, and you know it, would you respond with a yes? Would you just tell God in your heart, I need to be saved. I need Jesus. I need the Spirit. I need forgiveness. I turn my life over to you. I surrender. I want to receive Jesus today whether I'm not sure about other times or whatever. Today, I want to nail it down. I want today to be the day of salvation for me. Let it be, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Save me. Forgive me. Take my life. Just take me. And I, 
Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for dying on a cross for me. For, even though you were God, you, you humbled yourself and came and died on a cross for me. And that you rose again because you were God. And now I can believe your promise that I can have eternal life. And then I just ask you to go ahead and tell God you'll follow through with baptism soon so we can all know and celebrate. Oh, what joy. What joy we've experienced at the baptisms we've had. This will be the fifth. Maybe this year is your year. Lord, thank you for saving people. Thank you that you love us, that you reach out, that it's not my words, that it's your spirit, that you love us, that you have a long arm. Thank you for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.